All right. How true that video is. I think that's scary. All right. Uh, I think I might have forgot to introduce myself when I came out. I don't know. I'm getting older. I forget these things. So uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Just blessed to be with you here this morning. Really excited uh, about uh, all that's involved with this morning from child dedication to what God's laid on my heart to share with you. And uh, so normally if you're with us on a regular basis, you see it on the bulletin, the Jesus period. We're taking a break from that series. Uh, That series is going to run all through the summer. It's on the book of Colossians in case you didn't didn't know. But Mother's Day is a day that... uh, our culture just stops to honor motherhood. And so God has called us to honor our father and our mother, not just on the second Sunday of May, but every day. Uh, We don't get to take a break from that. We're supposed to do that all the time. uh, This morning, we thought we would just take a moment to do that, to honor uh, those of you that are moms uh, here this morning. Now, before I jump into the message, I do want to just pause and and take a break. And uh, I'll say this. I, I know that for some of you this morning, uh, Mother's Day is not a day that brings a lot of joy, but rather a day that brings a lot of pain and heartache. Uh, for some of you that w- desire to be a mom and for whatever reason uh, that hasn't happened and you're unable or what, whatever the reason is, this morning could be really painful for you. And I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, perhaps it's the loss of a child. Maybe you've lost a child through a miscarriage or some other way. And you come this morning and it's just a reminder uh, of that. Or perhaps it's a broken relationship. Uh, that you have with your child. And it's a relationship that you so badly want to mend and and just haven't been able to. And so Mother's Day comes and it's a reminder of that fracture or that broken relationship. Or maybe that relationship is back with your mom and it's it's a relationship that you wish you had with your mom, uh, but you don't. Uh, Maybe there's some pain or heartache that you're dealing with there this morning because your mom was called to live a certain way and she didn't. She didn't honor some things that she probably should have. Maybe there's some abuse there. Whatever the story is, uh, for you, it's possible that today isn't a celebration, but it's actually a reminder of some very painful things. And so with that said, I am well aware of how short my words will fall this morning in mending those wounds. Uh, I can't, uh, but I do know the one who can. And so I'm just going to take a minute and just pray and ask that God would, would bring peace and healing for those of you that find today, Mother's Day, a real uh, struggle. So let's just take a minute and pray. Father God, I, uh, I do praise you for who you are. I praise you that you are our Father and you are a comforter. And God, you comfort unlike any of us are able to. And so, Father, this morning the reality is because of the brokenness of the world and because of sin, uh, there is some hurt in this room surrounding this day of Mother's Day. Father, I pray that you would bring peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you would heal those wounds as only you can. And uh, I, I just pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I have, I have spent zero days on this earth as a mother. Uh, I probably will never get to experience that. I hope not. Um, but I do, know, uh, I do know some really great moms. I've been blessed. I am not one of those that, that stands here with that impact on my life of, of having a fractured relationship with my mom or something like that. Uh, my mom raised two boys. I was one of them. And uh, I have a great deal of love and respect for her. And I've gotten to watch her uh, mother throughout the last 34 years of my life. Uh, I have a mother-in-law who I love and respect deeply, who I've watched for the last 13 years uh, mother uh, and do a wonderful job of it. And uh, lest you think that I'm trying to earn points this morning, that is not my goal. Uh, Those of you that have uh, interacted with her and seen her over the years, you know that. 
you know that to be the case. Uh, and then I have my wife who is for the last nine plus years, I've gotten to watch her mother and do a wonderful job at it. So I would say this to the young men that are in the room, those of you that are thinking about someday getting married, maybe you're in a dating relationship now, maybe you're uh, pursuing that, maybe you're engaged, whatever it is, uh, I would ask you to think about this question. As you pursue someone, think about what kind of mother are they going to be? Because for most of us, we, when I was 19 or 21, I didn't necessarily think about that question. But I guarantee there will come a day when that question will be really important to you. So I would just encourage you in that as you uh, consider that. All right. So we got a long way to go here this morning. Got a lot of stuff to get to. And uh, a lot of my thoughts this morning are going to be directed towards moms uh, and their children. Uh, But I would just say this. Stay plugged in. If you're a guy in the room and you fall asleep, I might go get one of those balls and throw them at you. uh, Because... Uh, The implications of what I'm going to share with you this morning go way broader. And we don't have time this morning to get into it all, but they go way broader than just a parent with their child. But specifically, we're going to focus on uh, moms and their kids. Uh, So Seeing Beauty is the title of the message this morning. And um, here's what I want to get at. Here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. See the beauty, not just the problem. See the beauty, not just the problem. Now, the reality is, generally speaking, moms do this. uh, They can see the problem. I'll put it that way. They diagnose the problem much quicker than men, right? Generally speaking. Uh, I used my phone a friend this week, uh, which pastors have those in case you didn't know. I used my phone a friend. I called my wife and I said, Aaron, is this true? Is this thought true? Because I don't want to stand up there and look like an idiot in front of all these people. And she said, yeah, it it is generally true that moms can pick up on things, inconsistencies, flaws in the character much quicker than men do. And I don't know about you guys if this has ever happened in your house, but it happens in mine. My, My wife will come to me normally when the kids are asleep or they're not around for some reason. And she will say to me, Chris, I think we need to talk about blank and insert the child's name there. And I will say, okay, well, why do we need to talk about them? And she will then go on to describe, I see some things in there, the way they're behaving. I see some things that I'm concerned about. And as she says that to me, the light bulb begins begins to come on. And I can normally, I can say, yeah, I I agree with that. I see that. But it's it's often her that picks up on those things uh, the quickest. Now, I would say that that is a, it's a tremendous gift that you've been given. I'm not suggesting at all that this is a bad thing. I think that a mother's intuition is a gift that she's been given. And the, the things that she can see in her children are very important. But here's, here's where I want to get at. I, I, would, I would challenge us to be careful that we don't just see the flaws in our kids. We don't just see the struggles and, and see them and acknowledge them as struggles. But that we also see the beauty in that. That we don't just see the problem, but we see the beauty in it. Because... The reality is we don't need to be convinced that our children are sinners, all right? You, you look at them from the time they're able to, to walk and, and, and talk and pick things up. You see this. I mean, you see kids that, that uh, when something is taken from them, what is their response? They punch, they bite, they, they lash out, all right? If you were like me in our home, our kids are really good at tearing each other down. And it's not, it's not from necessarily from Aaron and I. 
no time since I've had children has someone taken something from me and I've punched them for it. Okay, that just doesn't happen. My kids don't take things from me and I don't punch them because they did so. So where did they learn that? Where did they pick that up? Well, they're born with this sin nature. All right, it's there. It's in them. And this sin in, our, in the lives of our children, it disrupts the peace in our home. All right, if we're not careful, you know, it can rip at, at, at family life in general and the peace that should exist there. And so moms, you're, you're really good at seeing this. Now, if you are a pessimistic person, if you're a person who looks at the cup as half empty all the time, you're going to have a really strong proclivity or tendency to look at your children and see the, the struggle in their lives, to see the sin in their lives, and it can overwhelm you, all right? This will be a real, this will be a struggle for you to see the beauty even in the midst of the pain. Now, it's not hard, it's not hard for us to see the beauty in our kids' lives. I mean, even as you saw these little ones come up this morning, you see them as infants and as they grow and they become cuter and cuter and cuter as they, they fill out and, and take form. And uh, even in the life of a toddler, you know, that toddler that takes their first steps or accomplishes that first goal or the child that gets a birthday present or a Christmas gift and you see the joy on their face, all right, as they're opening that. Right? It's not hard to see the cuteness there. All right? It's not hard to see the beauty in that. We live in a Facebook world. Probably some of you have friends okay, that all they post about is their children and how cute they are and they did this. And it, it's kind of like the highlight reel of their children's lives. They don't show you when their children are like spitting venom at them or throwing things at them. or They don't, they don't show you those pictures on Facebook. We all get that. Right? Hopefully that's not you, the person that just shows the highlight reel. But anyway, we get that reality. But I would suggest to you that there is even beauty in the midst of the struggle and the pain. And even when you're riding to church and you're like, why am I even going to church? Because they're fighting and you're thinking I should just turn around. Right? Even in the midst of that, there is beauty there. And so I would say that in the midst of these these moments, these struggles, because it's harder for us to see the beauty in that. It's, it's harder to see that. But what I believe that God is doing is when we look at the, the lives of our kids and we see the sin that is in their life, God is giving us a precious gift. It's actually a gift to be able to expose their hearts, to see what's deep in there, to walk with them out of that sin and point them to the only one that can save them in Jesus That is a tremendous gift when we see it and we can see it and view it that way. So see the beauty, not just the problem. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open them up. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 is where we're going to be. If you are new to the Bible, don't know where that is, I'll give you some help here. Uh, You go to what we call the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, that big book of Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians is there. So what we have here in 1 Corinthians, this is, uh, even if you're not a person that's gone to church a lot, uh, not real familiar with the Bible, it's possible that you might know this, 
this chapter that we're in because this has affectionately been called the love chapter. And this is a chapter where God gives us a description of his love. If you want to know what God's love looks like, read this description in 1 Corinthians 13 because this is a description of his love. And he's not only given us his words in this description, he's giving us, he has given us the living manifestation of his love in Jesus. If you want to know what love is, you look at the life of Christ. You look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You read about Jesus and the way that he interacts with people because Jesus was the full measure of love. He exemplified this type of love. And you see it as he he walks around and interacts with others. But 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. uh, And then we'll, we'll talk a little more about this. So, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, if you grew up in the church, you understand all that he's been saying there because these examples are given in other places in scripture. Now, if you haven't been raised in the church, it might be more of a struggle. But basically what he's saying is you may have all of these things. You may have a faith unlike any other unmatched that you can move the mountains. You might have the ability to speak in the tongues of angels or in tongues that people even that don't understand your language can understand, or that you can prophesy about what is to come, that God is speaking to you that closely, or you're the most generous person in the world and give everything you have. But if you don't do it in love, you have nothing. As a church, we should be challenged in this. As a people who call themselves Christians, this should greatly challenge us. And we should look at our lives and say, does my life exemplify this type of love? And he's going to give us the definition of what that is in verses 4 through 7. So let's look at that. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily wronged. It keeps no record or I'm sorry, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you know someone who loves like that? Whose love looks like that? I would suggest to you this morning that we have been lied to as a people and a culture. Right? Our culture tells us that love is some kind of emotional feeling that we get inside when we look at someone who's, who's of Uh, of beauty, of attractiveness, and we look at them and and there's some kind of emotion and there's something pulling us towards that person. And all of a sudden in our culture, that's been called what love is. Love as well in our culture has been, it's been defined as, well, what can someone else do for me? Whether it's status or position or fulfill some type of need in me. And that's what love is called. So if I find someone that can fulfill my needs, that's love. I I think we've been lied to. The other thing that our culture would say is love is something that you can fall into and out of. You hear it all the time. Well, I was in love with them. Then some time passed and I fell out of love with them. That's not God's love. That's not what God is saying here at all. God's love is not like that. And because of the impact of sin in our culture, because of the impact of sin, our worldview, our thinking, the way we view love has been skewed. Now, because of God's grace and the fact that 
Every one of us in this room, in spite of whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, you have the image of God stamped on you. Right? God has stamped his image on you and you see the examples of his love as you look around. Even in our culture, you can see them. And I think no better place than in a mother and her child. I mean, you look at the way that a mother, okay, because love is not self-seeking. You look at the way a mother interacts with her children, all right? The way a mother cares for her children. A, a mom that cooks for her children, does laundry for her children, stays awake at night when the, chi- the child can't sleep. The mother will sacrifice her own sleep that the kid would feel comfortable or the child would feel comfortable Right? The mom that makes goes on Pinterest and finds that cake and makes that special birthday cake just for their child. And, it, okay, there might be a picture of that cake somewhere down the road, but all that work and effort goes into like 10 minutes and the cake is gone. But they do it because they love their child. Or the mom that gives up something that she really desires financially, she, something she really desires so that her kid could have braces, her child could have braces. Or the mom that drives hours and hours and hours and miles and miles and spends hundreds of dollars on gas driving a child from one ball field to the next. It doesn't serve her purpose, but she does it because she loves her child. That is a love that is not self-seeking. Now, this love even goes broader than that. And as I said, this, this example that I'm going to give you is a mom and a child. But the implications of this are so broad and so big. Uh, so you think of a mom that, that has a toddler, all right? And that toddler wanders into the bathroom, all right? And the toddler wanders up to the toilet. Now, think about it from a, a one-and-a-half, two-year-old perspective, all right? The toilet is just a sink that is at their level, okay? That's all it is. It's like it's right there. They don't have to get on a stool. They don't have to turn knobs. The water is right there, all right? So that's what it looks like to them. They don't even use that thing yet. They, don't, they have no concept of germs or disease or whatever might be in there, all right? They're not thinking about that. They're just thinking, oh, cool, water to play in, all right? So mom comes in and sees this, finds it. And what does she do? She runs up. She says, no, 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 no. Get out of there. That's gross. That's disgusting. Because mom understands all that takes place on that toilet. And she understands the germs that are there, all right? And how detrimental this is to the child to be playing in a toilet, all right? But... What will the child do? Depending on their disposition and how they are, some children, if they're told not to do something they want to do, what's their response? They will look back and they will say, no. Or they might even take a swing at mom, right? They might even hit at her and say, get out of here. This is fun. What are you kidding? All right. But mom, in her love and generosity for the toddler, will pull the toddler away And pull the toddler out of that situation, the child out of that scenario. Now, just think about the implications way broader than just a mom with her child. Think about us in our rebellion towards God. There are things that God has said to us. Don't do that. That's going to cause harm. I don't want you to live that way. And we look back at God and say, God, how dare you? How dare you say that? How dare you tell me that I can't do what I want to do? And the whole time God's saying, I don't want you to do that because you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt others. All right, so go back to the scenario with the toddler. That toddler, if they take a swing at their mom or they say no, they are rebelling against the authority that God has given their mom over the child. They're rebelling against authority is what they're doing. Now, in that moment, the mom has all the power, all right, to just pummel that two-year-old. 
right? She could just put that kid in his place. She could flip him upside down and put him in the toilet if she wanted to. I'm not saying that that you should do that. Don't do that. But she could. She could put the child in its place, but she doesn't because she loves her child, right? So she just removes the child from that, that incident. And even in that act of deliberate rebellion and cursing back at mom almost, the mom still, her heart is big for her child and she moves the child out of the way or out of that scenario. Now that child could wander off and do something else and two minutes later fall and cut their knee, all right? Start crying. And mom's not gonna look and say, you deserve that, all right? Mom's gonna go and what's she gonna do? She's gonna pick up the child. She's gonna lovingly care for that child, all right? It's not, love is not self-seeking. It's not this, what can you do for me type of love. In that scenario, the child's not doing anything for mom, but the love goes beyond that. It's not self-seeking, all right? So, here we go. One thing I want to point out here in uh, another place that our culture has lied. This is a little bit extra, but I, I can't go through this without mentioning it. A place where our culture has lied to us is our culture says that love is acceptance. Love accepts and tolerates everything, all right? That's one of the things that our culture right now is screaming at us. I want you to look at verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. With the truth. There is a truth. And love rejoices not in evil, but in the truth. When we rebel against God and his authority, all right? When when there is rebellion there, God does not delight in that. Likewise, as a parent loving on my children, there are times where there are things that are downright evil that my kids are doing. You moms have been there. There's times when your kids will embarrass you, right? There's times where you'll throw your hands up and say, what on earth is going on? What am I doing wrong here? All right. Love does not delight in evil. All right. But it's always hoping and always persevering. That's where we're going to go. We're going to go next. I want to focus in on verse seven with you. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Right? The reality is that every single one of us is born into sin. We have a proclivity to repel, rebel against God, but God has not left us without hope. And love always, always hopes. It always hopes and it always perseveres. God has not left us without hope. God has not left us here to deal with this sin nature on our own because he knows that we can't deal with it on our own. He knows that we need him and we knows that we, he knew that we needed a savior. So that's why Jesus put on the human frame, came and lived a perfect life and then gave his life up voluntarily and went to a, a, a tree, a cross and was crucified that you and I might be set free. There is, there is a tremendous amount of hope in that. And when I talk about seeing the beauty in the midst of the struggle, each one of you as moms, if you have given your life to Christ, you know your own sin in your own heart. You've seen it play out in the lives of your children. And you know the only one that can rescue you from that is Jesus. And you as mom get the opportunity to lead them to Jesus. Love always hopes and always perseveres. Now, You've seen this uh, real quick. You've seen this uh, thing happen in your children, whether they're two or 16. You've seen them sin, 
All right, you've seen that. You've seen this, this opportunity that God has given you, and I'm sure you probably wouldn't ever call it an opportunity when you see your, the sin in the lives of your kids, but you've been given that as a gift. You've been able to see a window into their heart in the midst of that sin and say, they need help. They need Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting here and saying, well, that's great, Chris. I hear what you're saying, but my kids are out of the house. They're 24, they're 26, they're 34, they're 46, and I don't have that opportunity anymore. And I would challenge you there because love always hopes and perseveres. You still have an opportunity. Now, it may look different, and there may be some things that you need to do. There might be a place where you have to start and say, God, search my heart. See if there's anything in there that is wicked that would lead me from you. Is there anything in there that has hindered my children or been a stumbling block to them? Because if there is, I want to repent of that and turn to you and then go back to your children and do the same because it may be the beginning of healing. Now, maybe that's not the case, but I would still challenge you that you can be involved in your child's life. It looks a lot different at that age. It's not necessarily the same way. It looks more like a friendship, but you can still come alongside, ask questions that provoke and push, not provoke in a bad way, but provoke them to think about where they're putting their trust and hope. And you can still be a part of their lives and encourage them towards Jesus, no matter how old they are. So I want to give you real quick an example of this love and perseverance, and we've got to keep moving because we're running out of time. But in the book of Matthew, if you wouldn't mind, turn back with me a couple chapters in your Bible. Uh, you'll go back through Romans, uh, John, or Acts, John, and you'll get through Luke and Mark, and then you'll hit this book called Matthew. And as I was getting ready for this this week, God gave me this, this uh, story. He laid this on my heart, and it really impacted me. And I was like, God, you, you want me to share this story on Mother's Day? Because I, I don't know of anybody ever, I've never sat through a Mother's Day message that somebody talked about the Canaanite woman, uh, but that's what God laid on my heart, so I want to be faithful to what he said. So I'm going to uh, share this with you because there are, are really profound implications here about this idea of love, hoping, and persevering, uh, and so I want to get to it. All right, so we're going to be in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15, and in case you don't know, Matthew was a guy that was a uh, tax collector. Uh, he was unliked by his people. Um, and Jesus came along and said, Hey, follow me. And Matthew threw down his life as a tax collector and decided to follow Jesus. And then he comes back and he writes about the life of Christ. And here's one of the accounts that he gives us. So verse five, or chapter 15, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering, suffering terribly from the demon, from demon possession. Now I'm going to highlight a couple things with you uh, just to keep you up to speed. Uh, so verse 22, you see it's a Canaanite woman. This is interesting. This is a Canaanite woman. If you go back all the way back to the Old Testament, to the time that God was leading the nation of Israel into the promised land, what you would find is that he told in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2, he said, expel those people, get rid of them. All right? They're wicked. They're godless. You need to go in and destroy them and push them out of the land. Israel was disobedient. They decided not to go all the way as God had told them to do, and they, they stopped short. And so there are people, descendants of the Canaanites, and this woman is a descendant of the Canaanites. She would be a Gentile. She is not Jewish. This is really important because you look at the way that she approaches Jesus. Look at what she says. She comes to him and says, Lord. 
She acknowledges Jesus as an authority, master, right? This is huge. She understands who Jesus is. And then even further, she understands it from a Jewish mindset. She says, son of David. Now, way back, you go back a thousand years or so, and you find the King, King David, and God made a promise to him. It was actually a covenant. And he said, you will have a king that will rule on your throne forever. And Jesus is in the line of David. Now, for a Canaanite woman with no Jewish understanding, this is an amazing proclamation from her. She understands who he is, and she also understands that Jesus is the only one who can bring healing to my daughter. There's nobody else out there that can do it. He's the only one. And so I got to go find him. And so with the love of a mother that never stops hoping and persevering, she goes to Jesus. And watch Jesus's response. It's unlike anything that we would expect from Jesus. What does he say? Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. So Jesus doesn't respond. And his disciples are so annoyed with her already that they say, Jesus, get rid of her. Would you just get her out of here because she just keeps bothering us? Now, at this point, if I were the woman, I would think, well, he wants nothing to do with me. I would just leave. She's not deterred. So he answers in verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Again, another Push back against her of rejection because she's not one of the lost sheep of Israel. She's a Gentile. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said, look at her posture. She comes humbly, not really expecting anything, but saying, God, if you will help me, please, you're the only one. And again, she calls him Lord, master. You're the one who has the authority. Just a little bit of your goodness can bring healing to my daughter. Verse 26, Jesus again responds in a way that we would never expect or understand. And I will tell you this, if Jesus was here today and he responded this way, our culture would explode. Our culture would be all over him because what he does here is he divides. There's a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles and he makes note of it. And in our PC culture, politically correct culture, this is unacceptable. We just don't have a category for this. But here's what he says. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread, children of Israel, nation of Israel, and toss it to their dogs, the Gentiles. And we would look at this and be like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? A couple things I want to note here. First, there are two Greek words used for dogs. All right. This one, there's one that is used for that mangy mutt that doesn't have a home that wanders the alleys and is kind of a scavenger. Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses the word that would be more associated with a pet. Now, still not endearing, right? None of us would really want to be called a dog like, you know, Sparky or something, but it's not an endearing word. All right. And for us, this is really hard because if this was us, if this was in our culture today, we would stand up and say, Jesus is discriminating against us. Jesus is discriminating against our culture and he needs to be held accountable for that. There would be phone calls to the ACLU. There would be CNN, Fox News. Every news outlet would pick up on this story. But we need to take note of her response in her culture. Look how she responds. 
She's not offended. She doesn't run home saying, man, that guy's a jerk. I don't want anything to do with him. She responds like this, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she agrees with him. She agrees. She has a tremendous understanding of who Jesus is. And in case we miss this, when Jesus came, Jesus came first to proclaim the good news about who God is to the nation of Israel, the king of the Jews, right? And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul picks up on this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Right? This is really important. Everyone who believes. This is not just Jew or Gentile, but it's to everyone who believes. But look what he says next. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jesus had come to proclaim repentance and salvation through him to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. And the Jews then got the message and the disciples who were Jewish went out in the book of Acts and proclaimed the gospel to the Gentile world. All right. So that's what's happening. Jesus is saying, it's just not time yet. Is basically what he's saying. But in her brilliance, she picks up on it and she says, yes, Lord, I understand. She said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, just one ounce of your goodness would heal my daughter. Just one ounce. And notice she doesn't come based on her own goodness, on her own merit. She comes based on Jesus's goodness and his merit. She has tremendous expectation about who he is. And because of this, Jesus answered her, verse 28, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment or from that very hour. Her faith, her perseverance, her hope, she gives us this example. Because if I were in her shoes, I would have walked away. I would have walked away, but she does not stop. She does not stop pushing. And she's not dejected by Jesus's return. And what I I honestly think Jesus is doing here, what I honestly think he's doing is he's challenging her. He's saying, how much do you really, really want this? Because Jesus is, I believe, getting tired of people coming to him, only wanting the blessings, but not wanting the blesser. They only want their stomachs to be filled. They only want their children to be healed but do they really want to praise God and worship him? And she's already got that down. She understands who he is. And Jesus is just pressing her saying, how deep is your faith? How bad do you want this? And she gives us an example of great faith and hope and perseverance. And so moms, you're going to see the struggles in your kids' lives. You're going to see that it's going to come out. My encouragement to you this morning is that you would not grow weary in doing good. And that your love would be consistent. It would not stop. And that it would continue to hope and persevere. That's my challenge for us this morning. Now, for some of us this morning, there's a flip side to this coin. All right, we have a mother in our own lives, if she's still here with us on the earth, that, that maybe we have some challenges with. And I would ask you on the flip side of the coin, is your love for your mother as you take the implications of 1 Corinthians 13, with love is patient, love is kind, love always hopes, it's not self-seeking, is your love for your mother the same as that? Is your love for your children what 1 Corinthians 13 lays out? 
And if we're really, really honest with ourselves, if we really do some introspection and think about it, the answer is probably no. I'll say beyond that, the answer is no. Because there's not one of us who loves the way 1 Corinthians lays out. We try, we want to, but it's a struggle and we can't do it on our own. So here's the answer. The answer is to continually come back with the same heart and spirit as that Canaanite woman, bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me to love like that. Help me to be patient in love. Help me to be kind in love. Help me to be gentle in love. Help me to speak the truth when I need to, but do it in love. Help me to persevere in love. Help me to hope and not give up hope. And that's my challenge for us this morning, whether you're a mom or you're not a mom. There are people in your life that you need to love like that. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. When he said that, he meant 1 Corinthians 13. That's what it means. And so for all of us, as we look in, and we struggle with this, it's continually coming back and saying, God, heal me, help me to love like that. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. Again, uh, I praise you this morning. I give you honor and glory. I thank you for being a father that loves us and help us to understand that love. Help us to truly understand that love, that we might love others that way, God. That we might persevere and hope in our love for others. God, I, I just pray that you would heal us and forgive us of the sin. Remove the temptations from our lives. Help us not to be self-seekers, Lord but to seek your honor and your glory, that your name might be exalted. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.